Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back, everybody, to Blockbuster Mentality. I'm your host, Ben. Appreciate you tuning in for this episode. How you like that music, that royalty-free music you've been hearing for for years now? One of these days, I'll get a get an intro of my own. The uh, the guitar riffs you hear in between these intros and the conversation I have with guests are actually my own. So, a little fun fact for you there. Great episode for you folks today. Before we get to that, hey, make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes. Why aren't you? Why aren't you rating and reviewing us? Do it. It's easy. Just click around or your favorite podcast platform. We'd appreciate it. Again, as I said, great show. Talk inside out with animation writer and producer Michael Vogel. He's known for My Little Pony, Transformers, Spider-Man. He's been involved in a lot of different uh, projects. He's going to talk about that in this episode, goes into his background, and has a lot of great insight on the Pixar film Inside Out, which uh, we dive uh, deep into, which is a, a lot of fun. It was great hearing Someone who has the mind for it and everything, who is in it every day, writing and producing, uh, give their thoughts on it. So hope you enjoy. You can also catch them on Geek Buddies uh, with John Roca and Shannon McClung. Definitely check that out. You can check that out on John Roca's Outlaw YouTube page. But here is my conversation with Michael Vogel on Inside Out. Enjoy. Now you're at an actual part of one of these podcasts. Is this the first podcast you've done? Is this Geek Buddies or? Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of podcasts. Uh, like I've guested on podcasts. Like when I worked on My Little Pony, I did a lot of pony podcasts for people, but just as a guest. Right. Um, but then, yeah, John Roca, uh, you know, Roca had been doing all, all the podcasts. He kind of got into that whole world. And he and Shannon and I have been friends since we were in college. And we kept talking about it. Like we'd go out and have breakfast and we'd like catch up on stuff. And he'd be like, we got to do something the three of us. And we kept trying to figure out like the big question we kept having was like, cool. But like, there's a lot of podcasts with dudes talking about geeky things. Like <laughs> I love you guys, but what's more interesting than that. And uh, you know, he kind of came up with the angle of a, since I had been an executive for such a long time and now was professionally writing and Shannon had had been and is currently an actor and was also doing writing that we had a little bit more of a, well, this is how it really works behind the curtain uh, vibe. And more so than that was when we really decided that uh, we wanted to kind of bring it out that the three of us don't agree on a ton of things. Like we argue and give each other shit yeah. all the time. Like 
I love Last <laughs> Jedi. They don't. Right. Um, and yeah. that with all of the toxicity that's out there on social media, particularly in geek fandoms, we kind of wanted to sh- have a show where you could show that you could violently disagree on things uh, and not have to actually get in giant fights about it. Yeah, that exactly. We all yeah. kind of love geeky things. Right. And if I hate Batman versus <laughs> Superman and you love Batman versus Superman, but we all love Superman and Batman in general, like, yeah. we can still have a conversation and not actually try and kill each other. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that gives more interesting content when everyone's just agreeing, yeah, that was awesome. I thought it was awesome, too. You know, it kind of, you know, just gets a little old, you know. And, uh, you know... W- not that you want to force it, you know, you don't want to force, like, I'll just disagree now just to make it more entertaining. You know, you, you want to make it genuine. And I think you guys definitely, you know, do it. I'm not saying you do that, but you, you know, you, uh, you, <laughs> you definitely do a good job at that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you had the, you know, traction with, you know, uh, being a guest on other podcasts and everything like that. So, you know, you guys, even if you, you know, uh, I think people knew Shannon, they knew you, you know, yeah. from being guests on those other podcasts. So yeah, I think it was a no brainer. So it seems like you guys are doing, doing well with that. So yeah, it's hopefully, fun. yeah, it's fun. Exactly. It's fun. That's what I say about this. It's, you know, it's a fun, fun little hobby for me. If it turns into a little something, you know, it's getting there, but you know, that would be cool too, but Hey, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, now you obviously are, uh, you said talked about being an executive with uh, animation. My Little Pony, I know, is a big thing. Looks like you've done uh, Transformers as well. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so how how, do you, how does one uh, get into that? Uh, you're a writer and a producer. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I I went about it the uh, completely roundabout way. Um, when I moved out to LA, I was dead set on either being an actor or an actual animator because I had uh, double majored in theater and art in school. I actually drew. Uh, and I was taking night classes out here uh, in L.A. at the animation union and like in betweening and storyboarding and life drawing. But like by day, I had jobs that were like just soul sucking assistant jobs in Hollywood. And it was just killing me. And yeah. I decided I really needed to get a day job that at least matched what I wanted to do. Uh, and I had at that point sort of decided I would cool it on the acting and really kind of focus on animation. So I was only interviewing um, for jobs in animation like a runner, a PA, an assistant, like anything, but it had to be an animation. So it was at least an interest of mine. Sure. And one of my friends from college was at Sony television at the time and found out that the woman who was running uh, uh, animation and family entertainment needed a new assistant. So I interviewed for her. I got the job and I was her assistant for a couple of years. And then uh, she was leaving. I wasn't sure it was going to happen to me and uh, the presidents of Sony called me down to their office and told me that Marvel wanted to do a new Spider-Man cartoon and because at the time Sony had all of the rights for Spider-Man, not just the film rights, that they had to do it with Sony. And I was like, cool. I didn't know why they were telling me this. I was an assistant (laughs) from upstairs. And they were like, so yeah, uh, nobody else in the building knows anything about Spider-Man. So we need you to go into the meeting. And I was like, okay, cool. So like, do I have like a week to prepare or what? And they're like, no, no, they're on their way right now. Oh man. And I was like, okay. So like instantly, like I sweat my pits, just like sweat through my shirt. Yeah. I was nervous. <laughs> but I went into this room and the Marvel people were like, well, what do you guys want out of a Spider-Man show? And the two presidents of Sony just like looked at me <laughs> and I had like a completely Uh, Like, I know we're going to talk about Inside Out. So, like, you can just picture, like, all of the people controlling my brain. (laughs) I'm sure. uh, Just everyone completely screaming at the same time. But uh, it was, like, one of those really amazing geek 
lesson life moments, I guess, yeah. where as panicked as I was, I all of a sudden was like, okay, hold on. You talk to your friends about Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, Star Wars, X-Men, whatever, all the time. Just do that. And so yeah. I was like, well, hey, I know Peter Parker is a school teacher in the comics right now. And do we want to do that? Or do you want to go back to Peter Parker in high school? Are we going to key off the movies? Are we going to focus on those villains? Do we want to go Sinister Six? Like just started like geek yeah, um, out of the mouth. But and you you listed all enough. of it just like that. You were just yeah. like, did, 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 did. Uh, but like whoa, whoa, we got to write it down. I did well enough that uh, when they when Marvel left, my bosses, the, the presidents, were like, "All right, we're promoting you. You're uh, you're the you're the manager of development. You're going to develop this new Spider-Man show." And yeah. uh, that was Spectacular Spider-Man, which I did with Greg Weissman and Vic Cook and Sean Cheeks Galloway, and uh, that was my first development job. Um, I developed some other things while I was at Sony. Um, ultimately, they weren't doing a ton of animation, and they were surprised to find out that I actually only wanted to do animation. Yeah. They were like, oh, we thought you were just doing that until you could get to live action. And I was like, no, no, I actually <laughs> am a cartoon nerd. Right. Uh, and that was when Hasbro, the toy company, was starting a studio out here in Hollywood. Oh, wow. To do all of their own productions. And uh, the, the guy uh, who was running the studio called me up. We had coffee. And we started talking and again, just me nerding out about everything. And he was like, well, how would you like to come over to Hasbro and develop new versions of Transformers and GI Joe and all of those shows? Yeah. Uh, and I went over there and it's funny, my Hasbro had weird titles that didn't quite match any other studio. And so my, my title when I went over to Hasbro was a uh, executive director of boys action, which <laughs> Well, like when you're a gay guy working in Hollywood and your card <laughs> says boys action, it always is a little bit awkward. You're like, oh, this feels kind of funny. But, uh, but I, and then, uh, so I did Transformers Prime. Uh, I was the executive on that with uh, Jeff Klein and Kurtzman and Orsi and an amazing team of writers uh, and directors and designers. Uh, G.I. Joe Renegades was another show uh, that I did with Jeff Klein producing. Um, Rescue Bots, which was a younger age Transformers show. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up kind of taking over all of Hasbro's development and current uh, on the executive side. And so that's when I got involved in Littlest Pet Shop and My Little Pony and everything else. And uh, My Little Pony was such a phenomenon that it went from like being 10% of my job to 30% of my job to 80% of my job, like oh, over wow. the course of like five months. Yeah. And so like, it was funny when I started at Hasbro, I was super the Transformers guy. Like if anybody had any questions about Optimus Prime on Cybertron and the relationship between him and Megatron or like what Autobots were on Earth at what time or anything like that. I was the nerd you would go to. Yeah. And then all of a sudden overnight, everybody stopped talking to me about robots and started asking me about like what it was like for the Pegasus living in Cloudsdale <laughs> and what's going on in Manhattan and is Queen Chrysalis ever going to come back from the Changeling Kingdom to attack Princess Celestia and Princess Luna <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like nerding out about all that stuff right yeah um, I'm sure so that was sort of my executive track but then the big moment was uh I was out at Burning Man uh as a west coast hippie type person does <laughs> yeah of and, course. naturally uh, was out in the desert and the sun was coming up and I was thinking about life and I kind of realized uh, everything I just told you uh, that 10 years of my life was because I had wanted to be on the creative side of things and I just wanted a day job that matched what I ultimately wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. 10 years that day job became my job and it was cool and sure. it was creative and I was doing all the kind of things that I wanted to do, but I wasn't actually on the fully creative side. I was still the executive working, 
with amazingly creative people. Yeah, because so, I was going to ask you, like, yeah, would you obviously recommend someone if they, they are passionate about something to at least get something in that field, get something that's, you know, kind of borders that uh, borders that thing you want, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, well, I think it's like it's a double edged sword because I think like I did that. Like I found a way to pay my bills doing something that was in the industry that I was really passionate about. It just took me 10 years to realize that I wasn't doing the exact part that I really wanted to do. Right. Um, So I came back from Burning Man and I quit. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I walked in and said, uh, so I'm going to quit my job and I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. And I just want to, I want to be more on the producing and writing side and I want to write my own stuff. And seems very fitting that someone would have an epiphany at Burning Man. It's, uh, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> they often say when you talk to people who go to Burning Man, they're like, don't make any major life choices in career or relationship in the couple of weeks coming back from Burning Man. And I 1000% broke that rule. Yeah. But uh, it seemed to have worked out. Fortunately, uh, I was so involved in My Little Pony and we were well down the road uh, developing the My Little Pony animated feature that Hasbro did with Lionsgate that they just sort of, they're like, well, if you really want to be a producer, let's just jump you over. So I kind of jumped over to being a producer on that um, and then started writing some scripts for the TV series, which then led to me co-writing the My Little Pony feature. Yeah. uh, And then started writing on some other shows with Hasbro and then started writing for other shows outside of Hasbro, like Avengers and Young Justice and um, other things like that. And now I'm uh, I'm working on a bunch of different projects with a bunch of different studios. Uh, I have a ton of stuff in development. Yeah, um, that means that maybe people will see it and maybe they won't. Yeah, but yeah. So that is a probably a little bit more long winded than it needed to be version of uh, of my journey in animation that led (laughs) me to where I am today, which is here talking yeah. to you during a global pandemic. I know. Look at that. And I, that's was going to lead me to my next thing was the global pandemic. Do you think it was easier for uh, animated shows, animated content with this pan- pandemic, I would assume, since some things can be done remotely and, you know, uh, was it easier for yeah, I mean, you guys? It- you know, a lot of studios had to make some adjustments. Uh, Wild Brain, one of the Canadian studios that I'm working with, uh, you know, they had to make sure that every single one of their animators had the right software at home, that everything was uh, encrypted in the right way so that things couldn't leak or whatever. But like, so, but it was it's possible. Like, you know, not every studio uh, was necessarily outfitted 100% and ready to go, but it was something that was within the realm of possibility. And it's not ideal. Right. Like one of the fun parts for my job uh, being a producer and showrunner is when you have a big writer's room. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, where yeah. you get a bunch of writers in a room together and the company orders you your food and you have endless caffeine and you spend all day on a whiteboard like breaking 10 stories, 12 stories, like whatever stories you're going to break. And you, sure. it's a fun thing. It's spending an entire day in a room just making shit up uh, and getting paid to do it. And we're still doing that in a global pandemic, but I'm just sitting right here. And I'm staring at a bunch of writers on my screen (laughs) and it's not quite as fun sitting in your apartment staring at people on a computer all day. So Yeah, yeah, there's a different energy, you know, there's a different energy when there's actually people in in the room. So yeah, that's but yeah, man, that's great that you're, you know, still able to do that. Now are you 
Are you an actual animator? Do you do you do the drawings or anything ever? I have am you not. tried. Uh, yeah. I still draw for fun. Yeah. Um, mostly Disney stuff because I'm a super Disney nerd. Uh, so I just draw for fun, for relaxation, to kind of enjoy myself. Uh, I, I I should sketch more uh, yeah. than I am, um, but uh, I work with a bunch of people who are infinitely more talented than I am. Like just <laughs> amazing, and I think. Yeah. The good part about my animation background and my art background is that I have enough of an understanding. Like I can, I can draw an idea. Like if I'm in a room and I'm trying to express, I want this character to look like this, or I want this character to be in this pose. I am decent enough that I will draw my janky ass thing next yeah. to some amazing designers, amazing thing, but it's at least something that they can be like, oh, okay, I got it. And that's yeah. more than a lot of people on the writing side or the producing side sometimes can do. So it's come in handy, even though I'm not actually doing the actual animation on the animated shows that I'm doing. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Now, we obviously, you know, naturally, you being a big animated guy, we we decided to go with an animated movie uh, for the topic of this show. You clicked on this episode, so you know what it is. It's Inside Out uh, from 2015, the Pixar film. Uh, now, I'm just going to ask this right off the bat. Where where does Inside Out rank in your, uh, rank in your Pixar films? It is close to the top. Uh, I don't think it is the top. Well, it's not the top. Toy Story 3 is my favorite Pixar film. Okay. Um, but Inside Out is a top fiver for sure. A, because it's just an amazing film. B, because uh, I relate, maybe if we're just keeping it strictly Pixar, I think the only character in Pixar that I relate to more than Joy is Woody. And so there okay. is a, Toy Story 3 is my favorite and Inside Out is in the top five. And, okay. and, and by the way, relate to them both in positive ways, but also, and maybe more so, their negative traits. So uh, that's okay. something we can talk about with joy a little bit. But, okay, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I definitely think it's one of the most uh one of the more deep films of Pixar, if not the deepest, you know, thematically, you know, theme wise, uh, that's for sure. Obviously directed by uh, Pete Docter, uh, who did Up, uh, Monsters, Inc., Wally. Uh, he did a lot. He's done a lot with Pixar. Well, that's for and sure. And he's got uh, Soul coming out on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. Yes, I can't wait to to check that one out. Uh, so yeah, I mean he's he's got a great uh, filmography there, and yeah, I mean the cast first of all. I mean you got you know uh, a great great choice of casting here. You got Amy Poehler uh, yep. as Joy, as we, we already mentioned, and uh, you know for Office fans out there, I think I don't know if you could find a more perfect voice for sadness, which is Phyllis Smith. You really can't. <laughs> I mean, she really does nail it. Yeah, absolutely. Bill Hader is fear. Lewis Black is anger. Mindy Kaling, another <laughs> office uh, choice there with disgust. Makes total sense. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, Inside Out. So, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's such a unique concept, first of all. I mean, the getting to see inside, you know, the... the uh, mind of a child first of all and just the mind of a human uh what do you think of uh, the opening score the opening score is just uh to michael jacquino's score for inside out is definitely one of my favorites i also have like there's a list there's some scores that i love because they're so iconic and i can't think of anything else when i'm listening to it uh 
say Star Wars. Sure. Uh, but then there's other scores that are just iconically beautiful, but they kind of fade into my background, and I use those to write to a lot. Really. And the Inside Out score is definitely one that I can sort of put it on, and I don't know if maybe like my brain is vibing to a movie that's all about the brain or something, but uh, I write to I write to the Inside Out score a lot. I think it's just such gorgeous music yeah i i know they you know obviously consulted with psychologists with this movie and, and everything i wonder if they somehow made the score to like you know kind of reflect people's thinking everything like that i would not be surprised if you know they were uh, disney was able to scientifically get into our brains in that way right. seriously <laughs> um, and the yeah right like people. the opening is really interesting to me because well for a few reasons one is one of the things you deal with when you're a writer is exposition. Like mm-hmm. in any story, you've got a lot of stuff you need to explain and you want to explain it in an interesting way and not have it sound like I'm just telling you right. what the universe is. And with Inside Out, it's such a unique universe. It's like nothing we've seen before. Like when you say, hey, when you leave your bedroom, the toys come to life. Or, hey, uh, cars can talk. You know, right. like it's, it, there's not a giant, there's not a lot to explain once you get past the concept, but with Inside Out, they were building something from scratch that was like nothing we'd seen before. And so the way that they start the movie with Riley's birth and Joy kind of narrating as she's kind of explaining where she came from right? and how she was the first emotion and then sadness shows up and then fear and anger and disgust come along, but you just... If you watch it before the opening credits actually happen, because the opening credits don't happen until Riley and her family are heading to San Francisco, uh, you get basically a rule book for how the movie is going to tell you the brain works. Like, like, here's us watching Riley. Here's each of us and how we weigh in on things. Uh, Here is all of these memories that come floating in. Here are these core memories that are super important and built these islands outside of the control (laughs) tower. Uh, Okay, we've covered everything. Here's the rules. Now let's get on with the movie. And just from a writing standpoint, that is fascinating to me because it's so well done and none of it feels clunky or like they're explaining it to you, even though that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're just laying it all out for you, but in like such a unique way, such a, and it's so, the whole movie is just so aesthetically pleasing, you know, just it looks amazing. And yeah, with the core memories being these like shiny, or or the memories being these like shiny balls, some are gray because eh, they don't matter so much, you know, and talking about how like short term memory gets shifted to our long term memory. Like it's just, yeah, they all, they, they do cram it in the beginning, but it doesn't feel crammed. Like you don't, like you said, it doesn't feel clunky or anything. It just feels natural, and it's just like, oh, I get it. Okay, <laughs> it's so great, and yeah, just uh, how they introduce each each character. You know, with uh, uh, I think again, I, I, I'm going to say this about every uh, voice actor. Bill Hader is fear is perfect as well. Yeah. Just, uh, uh, just it's just. It's, and then I. Think- I think Lewis Black as anger might be the most perfect, probably. Yeah. Like, I, think all, I think you're right. They're all perfect. I think yeah. Lewis Black might be the most perfect out of all of them. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I love, I love the, you know, the gag. He keeps, you know, fear keeps trying to stop him from, from doing any outbursts and he just like punches him or, you know, throws him away and he, he does it anyways. So, <laughs> and a couple of the things that I think are really interesting just about the characters before you even dive into the, the, the meat of the movie, uh, 
One is that uh, I know like Pete Doctor has said this in some of the behind the scenes footage and a couple of interviews. One of the issues they were having with Joy as a character is she's a little bit annoying. She can be, she can't, she could have been, let me put it a different way. She could have been a little bit annoying. She doesn't really listen to anybody. She thinks she's always right. She barrels over people like sadness. Uh, she could come across as, I don't know if she's likable. And that's one of the reasons they went to uh, Amy Poehler because Amy Poehler is A, so likable, and B, is known um, not primarily, she's I mean, at Saturday Night Live everything else, but Leslie sure. Nope on Parks and Rec is kind of yeah. one of her major characters. And Leslie Nope is also a character who, if not played exactly right and charmingly perfectly, could be annoying. Yeah. And so they attribute a lot of uh, Joy's personality and what makes Joy work to Amy Poehler's voice. And, uh, and is that how you relate to Joy? You're, you you could be annoying? Oh, if you ask John Roca or Shannon or anybody, I'm sure they will tell you that is true. <laughs> um, also, from a deeper sense, I think that uh, I, I, I watching Inside Out really strikes me uh, on an emotional level because I think I am probably somebody who at times will try and uh, bury the negative emotions. Right. Like, let's not have no crying, no sadness. Yeah. Let's be optimistic. Let's move on. Let's turn the other, like, find the silver lining. Let's move forward. Um, yeah. And, and that's what Joy's doing. Joy's doing with sadness in this. You know, she literally draws a circle. You stay in the circle. Sadness. Yeah. No, we're staying away right now. We do not need you. You yeah, know, so and- watching a character who is uh, relentlessly trying to shove the negative, the negative things to the side is, uh, is, is probably one of the other less, less good traits that I know that I can be guilty of. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think we all have a, a we, we can all have a tendency yet yeah, to not want to bring on those negative feelings. I think it's a, a good thing in some, in some aspects of life, but at the same time in this message of this movie is, you know, it's, you got to let in that negativeness, that sadness sometimes, you know, in order to, to be happy again, which we'll obviously get to, you know, towards the end of the film. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're inside, uh, Riley's mind is the girl they're in. And, uh, one of the, you know, a life is going great for her in Minnesota, doing great in the hockey team, got great friends. And then, you know, what's the worst that can happen? And then they, you know, quick cutaway yep. to for sale sign. They got to move one of the worst things that can happen to a kid. Most which, traumatic things, <laughs> which was not in the original version when they started it. Uh, really? Another kind of fun. It, it, I get really into this, uh, you know, working on animated series, having worked on a couple of animated features, like, the story that you start with and the story you end up with are never the same at all because you figure things out along the way. Right. And in the original version, I think the very, very first version of uh, Inside Out, like Riley and her family lived in San Francisco. Yeah. And and the issues that came up for her were more about leaving her child be- childhood behind and growing up and changing. Um, and at some point they realized that the, that, that from a story standpoint and from an audience standpoint, you needed something a little bit more like here's the moment that life took a turn and that's where the idea of moving came from because you're exactly right. What's the worst. It's like they say, what's the worst thing that could happen? And it's like, we all grow up and we're all going to go through changes, but to have your childhood be in this one place and everything you know about life be somewhere and then boom, you're moving, you get the movie off to a start and the entire audience is like, yeah, I get it. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and personally, I, I related to it a little bit. Uh, I was a little older. I was 15 when I moved to Florida, uh, with my family. I was 15. I had no choice. Uh, lived in Detroit, 
Michigan. Uh, but uh, yeah, we moved when I was 15. And uh, yeah, that's uh, I think that's a tougher age. You know, you, you got, uh, yeah. you know, you're starting to, you know, hang out with, you know, the your friends, you know, going out on your own and things like that. And all of a sudden that just gets pulled away from you. And that's, you know, essentially what happens to Riley here is, you know, that's just getting pulled away. And yeah, as a, as a child, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's, that's definitely a turning point in someone's life. That's for sure. And yeah, this, uh, yeah, this movie does a, a, it's such a great device, you know, as to why she went through this, you know, it wasn't someone dying, you know, or, you know, just something terrible happening. It was just, no, we're just moving. You're going to make new friends. But as a child, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. To a, to a kid, you know, to an adult, you look back on it, and you're like, moving is hard, but you'll, you'll move on. But to a sure. kid, which is what Riley's dealing with, like your entire life is over and you don't know. It's scary. Like, I think sometimes we, and I, what I, one of the things I think they do really good at Inside Out, uh, in Pix, at Pixar in general, but Inside Out specifically is, it we forget i have friends now who have kids who are seven eight twelve whatever and it's easy as an adult to kind of look at their lives and their problems and their stresses and you're like yeah i mean that's kid stuff it's no big deal and then you kind of think back to how you were what what i was thinking what was going on in my head when i was a 12 year old closeted gay kid in florida and you're like oh no that shit's hard yeah shit you are going through it yeah 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 you did you go to florida state I did John? go to Florida State. Oh, okay, so that same. Okay, and are you from Florida? I'm from. I grew up in Gainesville, Florida, ah. where UF is. Yeah. So the worst thing you can do is go to Florida State uh, as far as like sports rivalries. Right. Go. Yeah. But, uh, but I just really <laughs> did not want to go to school in my hometown. I wanted to get away, and so that's why I was two and a half hours away. I could drive yeah. home on the weekend, have mom do exactly. laundry if I needed to, but <laughs> I was far enough away that I was kind of on my own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fun. Well, that's a fun fact. I didn't realize that. I'm in Tampa, yeah. so there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, moving to moving to San Francisco, which is still a city I need to go to. Me and my wife have been planning a trip to San Francisco for I don't know, like better half of a decade and still haven't gotten to and now who knows when we'll get to with uh covid um but uh that's besides the point of the movie um because they have broccoli pizza that's what i want to try you know the the broccoli pizza i hear Anger it's is great. not a fan <laughs> not, not so much not so much but uh but yeah so yeah they moved to san francisco the dad is seems like some big wig uh p- played by kyle uh mcclant McCl- that guy kyle <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin. McLaughlin. That, that Kyle. <laughs> that Kyle. Yeah. yeah knew. He's the I actually didn't know this until I went back and looked at uh Kyle McLaughlin's the dad and Diane Lane is the mom and like uh, very important roles in the movie for sure, but like yeah. definitely overshadowed by Lewis Black and Bill right. Hayward, But they do such a good job. Yeah, definitely. I love that scene, you know, when uh they're at the dinner table and you actually get to see inside uh uh the parents' minds, you know. That's uh that's great. You know, you got uh and it's also interesting too that the who controls the mind. So you yeah. have the mom's mind, the the sadness uh character, I guess you could call it, um, is the one kind of controlling mind. So I think she's, you know, in control of her sadness. Um, and the, the father is in control of his anger, but yeah, it's just, a uh, so much, uh, great comedic moments with that, you know, her, you know, wanting the dad to do something and he's got like TV playing, but it's, 
yeah. in his mind. It's cocky well, game. And <laughs> something that's kind of interesting, a, a that scene is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> that is, that is pure Pixar magic where they take something that is so everything about it is relatable. The joke, the joke in that scene is, you know, dad is going to get angry. Right? You know, dad is distracted watching football and not paying attention. You know, mom is like, Ugh, I should have stayed with that sexy guy. Like every joke is, it feels so simple and easy, but it probably took them forever to get there. And they just landed on something that was so true and so relatable. But the other thing I think is really interesting, and you pointed it out, is to see who's driving. Right. Because, again, one of these one of the points of the movie is that Joy assumes that Riley will be happiest if she is joyful all the time. Because who doesn't want to be joyful all the time? Right. Um, but, and, and I think that the other four emotions, there's a, on the face of them, there's a negative connotation. I don't want to be sad. We shouldn't be angry. Being scared is bad and disgusted. Like, okay, you're an asshole, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but each one of those emotions uh, kind of has a, a, a better side to it. And Pete Doctor talked about this. Like you were saying that they, you know, they talked to psychiatrists and they did a lot of study on this and that uh, they, they, at that very beginning scene when they're showing everybody, they keep sadness to the back because that's the point of the whole movie. But, you know, anger is kind of, it, Joy describes him as, you know, he's really into what's fair and what's right. Right. Do the right thing. And he gets angry because people don't do the right thing. Uh, and fear is there to protect us. Like we're supposed to be afraid of things. Like when we right. were all cavemen and the saber toothed tiger came running, like you survived because you were afraid of that shit. Right. Um, and disgust was the same thing. Like disgust is, it, it kind of protects you. It protects you from social awkwardness. It protects you from smelling something that's probably bad for you. So like there's a positive connotation. So when you see sadness controlling mom and anger controlling dad, it doesn't mean, you know, you were saying like that they're in control of their sadness and control of their anger, which I think is true. But I think it's also true that like sadness can also be reflective and being in touch with like the more emotional side yeah. of yourself. And anger yeah. is also like, I'm going to do what's right. I am going to be the right, a good person and I'm not going to let people do anything to my family. Right. And so I think yeah. like seeing how they drive those things, it kind of, it's interesting. And like, even a scene like that, which is super, super funny, there's layers that you can peel off in there. Oh, and yeah. that's kind of what makes Pixar better than a lot of other studios. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it's just not, not just anger and it's not just, you know, it, it is about, you know, being fair. No, you're not going to talk to me like that. I am the adult and, you know, so my anger quote unquote is going to, or my fairness is gonna is gonna step on that, you know. You're not gonna you're not gonna do that. But uh, but yeah, the mom wasn't happy about that. Um, and this comes after joy and uh, sadness had already uh, left the the control center uh, by mistake because sadness kept wanting to touch the the core memories and they would turn blue if they turn blue they're permanently blue and that's not a good thing for joy she did she does not want that to happen um and hijinks happen and they get sucked into the long-term memory bank and they have to find their way back they have to yeah. find their way back so riley's kind of just stuck in this 
uh, rut where she, you know, doesn't really feel happiness, doesn't really feel sadness. She's kind of numb in a way, you know, she's irritable because she still has anger. She's, you know, fearful of what still might happen because she has fear and, and she gets disgusted because she has disgust. <laughs> I really yeah, broke yeah. that down very uh, wisely there. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I mean, it's, you know, you have, this this girl, I think, for me, it touched on just being just kind of emotionally numb at that point. Like, I, I tried with my parents. I tried, you know, when you guys were kind of fighting to, oh, let's have a hockey game. Come on, let's not fight. And, you know, I tried to do all this uh, stuff with you, and it just, it it's not working. So I just don't feel nothing. So to me, it just felt like, her being kind of emotionally numb at that yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that that's the beginnings of her kind of going through that process of yeah. becoming emotionally numb. I think you're right. Uh, you know, a couple interesting things there. One, I do when you, the more that you rewatch the movie, sadness has this urge to touch the core memories yeah. and it's seen as a completely uh, joys. Like this is horrible. But ultimately, like her urge is the brain going, this is what you need to do. Like we need to re like we left these memories behind. We need to recontextualize them. They are now a little bit sad and that's how we're going to move forward. And so even though Joy is freaking out and telling sadness that she's messing up, ultimately Joy preventing that from happening is what causes this emotional breakdown for Riley. I mean, like Joy causes Riley's emotional breakdown. Yeah. Yeah, her her need and her 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 forcefulness of no, everything has to be peachy and you know nothing can go wrong. You know we we can't feel sad. We have to be strong for mom and dad. All that and yeah, like you said, that was kind of the downfall rather than you know kind of what happens at the end. You know, it's just uh, of letting your emotions out and letting your parents know how you feel. Um, that's ultimately the 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 right thing to do but uh but yeah our 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 want for uh not being sad or want for not being negative hinders uh hinders that that's for sure um but yeah they're they're stuck in the in the in the long term memory and you know they run into into some folks some folks are sucking up sucking up memories that uh don't belong anymore those uh like every one liner in Inside Out, <laughs> every little memory bean or whatever those things are called, like yeah. it's just one thing after another. It's like, well, we don't need these phone numbers anymore. Right. Uh, and like I think what is the one line they're like, uh, oh, what do we want to do with the fifty presidents? Yeah, keep Lincoln, keep Lincoln in Washington, get rid yeah. of the rest. And you're like, Yeah, not no. <laughs> there was a lot of things I remembered when I was a kid that I do not remember now. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. At, or uh, conversely, uh, in my mind, uh, Star Wars, stupid Star Wars facts that don't matter have stayed right. in the long term memory banks, <laughs> but all of actual history got right. flushed at some point. Like I often <laughs> tell people, I'm like, if I knew actual world history as well as I know the Star Wars galactic right. history i would be like a history professor like yeah. i would be at uh at a college right now teaching like could, it's crazy you, so you could go on jeopardy maybe exactly. you know? and <laughs> yeah so all those little gags that they have in there as sadness and joy are trying to figure out what to do or just each one is golden 
Yeah, absolutely. And then the the triple dent gum, you know, that song that always gets oh stuck God. in your head. Sometimes we just throw it up there just for fun, you know, and it just keeps getting tossed up there. And they, yeah, aren't happy about that. Oh, the song stuck in my head again. It's just, it's true. You get these random ass songs just stuck in your head. It's like, come on. Why? Why right now? Uh, yeah. The next big thing that happens uh, once they're lost in long-term memory is joy and sadness meet Bing Bong. That, oh, yes, that's right. Bing Bong, her old imaginary friend. And this is like where Pixar, like I, I remember when it came out, there was so much, uh, there was so much uh, speculation, like that Bing Bong was going to be the villain. Really? And I don't remember this, that. Wow. Well, and just this idea that like, he's got like a perfect villain motivation. Like he's been forgotten. Riley has forgotten about Bing Bong. He's wandering the brain aimlessly. Uh, he's like, oh yeah, I'll help you. Maybe you can help Riley remember me. And, you know, you're just setting him up to be this guy. And, uh, you know, we'll get to, we'll get to Bing Bong's arc at the end of this. But like, people were like gutted. They're like, damn you, Pixar. You made me think this guy was going to be the bad guy. And then yeah. you the rug out from under me. And I am bawling my face off. But <laughs> they meet him. And, you know, that is Bing Bong is like, yeah, you know, I can help you get through here. I, yeah, I can help you get to the train of thought that's going to get you back to headquarters. Like, all good. And that yep. sort of kicks them off into a tour of all of the cool parts of the brain. That yes. You, never want to visit. The, you go to dreamland. You go to... Uh, what is it? Abstract thought. Um, uh, go through that. Uh, but yeah, Dreamland. I mean, first of all, yeah, they're trying to wake Riley up in order to get to the train, I believe. And yeah, they get into the dreams. You have fear watching the dreams, saying like, "Ah, you did this last week." You know, <laughs> watching it like it's a TV show, um, saying how predictable everything is. Um, and you have sadness and joy dressing up as like a dog, and then they come apart, and fear freaks out. And uh, Riley has a meter that basically says whether she's you know awake or or asleep. You know, and that meter starts going up a little as she gets more scared and then they then they uh confront the the scary scary clown being not being bong uh uh oh, what is his name oh man uh it's the big scary jangles. clown jangles jangles ah uh, uh before we get there i think another part to talk yes. about before you get to the dreamland stuff uh is you know i think what's really interesting is Inside Out is sort of structured as like a buddy movie. It's a buddy action movie. Like they're going on this adventure and there's all these stakes. But the action that's happening is that Riley's islands that define who she is are collapsing. So they keep thinking they're going to get on these islands and use those to get back. And they get there and like those things are collapsing. Like Riley's falling apart. And kind of to what you were saying earlier, like she's two things are happening one because of joy and sadness being gone she's kind of becoming emotionally numb she's going through this whole process but like part of that is that feeling you get in puberty where you feel weird and you don't you're you're snapping and your emotions are all over the place and the things that you used to like you don't like anymore and the way that pixar takes all of those very emotional feelings and turns them into this action movie where these two people are trying to get from point A to point B and giant buildings are collapsing and things are going on uh, leading up to, uh, you know, Bing Bong. And this is like, I, when I was watching, when I was working on the My Little Pony animated feature, uh, 
with uh, Rita Sao, who uh, wrote Mulan, and we co-wrote okay. the movie together. Um, we would have all these discussions about movies, and we talked Pixar movies, and we talked Disney movies, and we talked all these things. And we watched this one scene in Inside Out over and over and over again, and it's when Bing Bong loses his wagon. Oh. And it falls down into where all the memories get dumped. Like, the right. memories don't matter anymore. And this is, like, a key moment in the movie that, like, he's sad. He's crying. Right. And Joy is trying to distract him. She's making faces. She's, like, trying to say, hey, this is whatever. And he, it's not helping. It's making things worse. Right. And yeah. sadness goes and sits there. And she's like, that's really sad. You must feel awful. He's yeah. like, I do feel awful. And Joy is like the fuck are you doing? Like you're <laughs> right. ruining, like, don't tell him he's sad. He's, we need to make him happy. And she sits there with him and he has that moment of sadness and he's like, okay, I'm ready now. Like I can go now. But yeah, like, so yeah, joy is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you're yeah. making this worse. And, and then he's like, he gets up and he's like, I can go now. And um, joy is confused. Like she's baffled. Like she looks yeah. at sadness and she's like, how, what did you do? Like, how did you, she doesn't get it yeah, it's beyond yeah. her understanding to go, you sat there and you were sad with him and that worked. Yeah. What's that about? <laughs> and then they go off and they continue. And that's when they then get to dreamland, which is where we yeah, were. Yeah. The, the dreamland, but yeah, no, a great point because yeah, I mean, that's in that, I think that, you know, sparks something in joy. She, you know, eventually realizes that towards, towards the end, but yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes you just have to, you don't have to fix people's problems. You know, you, you got to just be there for them. Just listen to them and agree. Say, yeah, that, that is sad. That does suck. I'm sorry you're going through that. But, you know, it, you don't try to uh, invalidate their feelings and, and everything like that. That just, like you said, does does the opposite. It, it doesn't help at all. And it kind of like shows uh, with joy it's why Amy Poehler does such a masterful job because Joy is ultimately so likable. But for the entire movie, every decision she makes is wrong. Yeah, I mean, like she's she's wrong about sadness at the beginning. She's wrong about what to do there. She doesn't listen to sadness throughout. Uh, you have this moment with Bing Bong where sadness helps. And then when they do get to dreamland and they're doing the whole amazing dream sequence with, like you said, like... Uh, the reason they're dressed up like a dog is because Joy's idea is we are going to happy Riley awake. Right. Yeah. Like we're going to make her so happy <laughs> that she wakes up and right. sadness is like, my, I mean, maybe we should scare her. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, no, 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 we don't want to scare Riley. We'll make her so happy. And you're like, no. And then of course, like when they do split the dog splits apart and everything right, gets yeah. weird and fears watching it. And he's like, this is some crazy shit. And then ultimately <laughs> they do make that decision to get jangles out of uh, the subconscious, which again, Pixar being just brilliant with taking the actual way that our brain works and turning it into this fantastical yep. place. But yeah, like if you're scared of clowns, jangles busting into your dream would fuck you up yeah yeah a little bit a little bit yeah if you're having a happy dream you don't want to wake up you know you know you're you want to stay in that dream i get i get i get sad when i get waking up from woken up from happy i've had plenty of dreams where i wake up and i'm like man (laughs) i didn't want to wake up from that that was awesome me me optimus prime and luke skywalker we're about to save the city oh that was good times (laughs) good times had by all man oh damn it joy damn it joy um Um, but yeah like it is it's one of those amazing things to me about the movie is the way that they uh and pixar is so good at this i mean look i mean dating back to uh woody you know in the original animatic for toy story that they screened for disney 
Woody was so unlikable that the movie was a disaster. Like Woody was horrible, 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 horrible. And even when you get to the Toy Story that we all know and love, again, you're going to cast someone to do some shitty things. Tom Hanks, Amy Poehler, these are the ones to do it. Yeah, but absolutely. But Woody, you know, in that movie, like he basically tries to to rub Buzz out. Like he wants to yeah. Buzz out of the way so that he can stay main toy. Like it's a horrible thing. And similarly with Inside Out, Joy is just making terrible decisions for very good reasons. Like she cares sure. so much about Riley. And I think that's what makes it work is we understand that what she's doing is not self-serving. It's not about her. All she cares about is Riley. Right. So she's yeah. wrong. She doesn't have a full understanding, but as far as she understands, she's trying to make the right decisions, which is why we don't completely get annoyed with her. But, uh, but that is, right. that is what I find fascinating about joy uh, in the movie is that she just keeps ignoring sadness and yeah it's pretty much right the entire time i know and it's it's yeah interesting that you bring that up because yeah you mean you have amy Poehler. she's so likable but at the same time yeah she keeps making these terrible decisions and it's you know but it's hard to get too frustrated at it because of how bubbly she is and how fun she is to watch you know just amy Poehler being amy Poehler. um real quick uh how, how how do you uh you said you related to him earlier how do you how do you relate to Woody? <laughs> well, uh, I think that, like, I would say, um, I think if you asked any of my friends, uh, I am sort of one of like the leaders of the friend group. I'm one of the guys that kind of is gonna help rally everybody to go to the movies or rally everybody to do the birthday thing. And so, I, I am whether it is a uh, by my own uh, in my own head or by the way that my friends have decided it. Like, I do kind of feel like I. I'm sort of one of the ringleaders of my friend group, kind of organizing okay. things. Uh, one of my friends calls it calls it being the cruise director. Okay, um, <laughs> but I think so. I think there's that, but I think also much like Woody, uh, I like being in that position. I like having that role of like you know the main toy in the bedroom, and when that's threatened or other people try and like take that away, I maybe not. I'm maybe not going to react in the best way to it. Uh, yeah. You know, like like but- most of Woody's reactions to things in all four movies uh even though even when he's not always right i'm kind of like yeah i kind of i'm i'm feeling woody like i feel (laughs) i I see what's happening here i see what he's upset about uh and i i worry about those things too i mean like it's all of his fears all of his insecurities uh, as much as he's awesome and he's woody and woody's the sheriff that's always going to be there for you and he's like this beloved figure he's just racked with insecurities and anxieties that make him sort of do some dumb things sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and, and much you, like myself. <laughs> and you want to be the main toy in the metaphorical bedroom, right? That's what yes. you're saying. Okay. <laughs> the metaphorical bedroom. <laughs> uh, I make, I make 15 year old jokes still. So, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah. Pixar does these things so, so well. And yeah, just I, I, something this is simple as you might think it, but the whole train of thought thing, I don't know, to me is just brilliant, you know, it's, just, yeah. It, it, uh, and I would say this about Pixar. Like, I think that where, I, again, sometimes when you get to the end of a movie and you see it on the big screen, everything seems like it was such an easy Oh, a train of thought. Yeah, right, we have yeah. trains of thought. Obviously, it would be a train. Right, but yeah. getting it to be that effortless and to feel that simple is actually the hardest thing to do. Usually, yeah. 
when you see a movie that you don't like, it's because it's a complicated mess and nothing makes sense. And right. everything in Inside Out, as complicated as the brain should be, is so easily mapped out and clear. Uh, and like even just like little one-liners, like I think one of my favorite one-liners um, in the entire movie actually happens on the train of thought is when uh, two boxes fall over and it's joy or sadness or somebody is like, oh, uh, these box of facts and this box of opinions just uh, fell. I don't know what goes where. And he's like, oh, yeah, they look the same. Just put them in either box. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you can't even tell the difference between them. And you're like, well, especially in 2020 and the divided times that we live in, that is the truest thing that I've ever heard. And it's a throwaway joke. So Absolutely. And, and yeah, and even, you know, train of thought like you can't force a train of thought like it just just something that happens you know it just kind of you go with that train of thought whereas you know you can't you can't just force it along and force it to come which you know joey's is you know kind of trying to do um which uh they finally do get on the train but uh they uh her and bing bong get trapped in the in the pit of despair uh as Very i like quick. to call it and, and again uh, sadness feels shitty about it Sad- yeah. again sadness feels like she has messed everything up like sadness right. has bought into joy's narrative that uh that she is the cause of all of this when it's right. reality joy and yeah joy and bing bong end up in the worst possible place to end up in the brain yeah and you know and it's it's what's cool about these characters is that they let, even though joy is the embodiment of joy, uh, and each one of them is the embodiment of emotion, within them, they have all of the range of emotions that any human would have. And joy uh, reaches her low point. Like this is her, you know, it's the act two into act three turning point. It's the low point of the movie. And she has reached the literal physical lowest point in the brain. And she has reached her emotional lowest point as well. And just like anybody, when they reach that point, you're, you're not trying to ignore everything that's going on and stay happy is not going to work for her. Yeah. Um, so when yeah. she finds this one memory and it's a happy memory and she's kind of going through it and she like goes backwards and sees, wait, this was sad first. Like yeah. what, what happened here? And it's all of a sudden, and again, this is where Pixar is brilliant is because this is this very metaphysical idea that in a lesser script they would have to explain to you verbally like joy would have to be like oh she was sad and that brought her parents here and that is why she then felt better and then she could go have this happy memory but they because they've created these balls of memory we actually get to see joy watch it we actually get to see the moment where you were blue and it's a sad memory sure and because her parents came to comfort her she got better, felt better about things, and then the memory turned into happy. And it's the first moment that Joy really understands that it's not that memories are just disgust or just anger or just any of these things. It's that they all feed into each other and are related and lead into each other. And she realizes that. And that's like the most important thing she can learn. And honestly, the most important thing most of us can learn as human beings. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't don't suppress these feelings. You know, don't... don't, uh... Uh, again, it's uh, it, it's it's healthy to to let your emotions out, to let your sadness out, you know. And and yeah, a, a memory, like you said, it doesn't have to just be this one thing. A memory can be a happy memory, but also you can feel sad about it. You can feel sad that uh, you can't go back to that one point in your life that was happy. You know, it's uh, it's you know, it's it. it 
it's so deep. <laughs> it's it's yeah. just crazy. And you know, you keep mentioning how Pixar is brilliant at this. Now, obviously, this was written by Peter. There's a lot of writer writing credits on this, but uh, original story goes to Pete Doctor, Ronnie Del Carmen. They both uh, directed it. Um, do you think this? <sighs> Is it just Pixar hiring great people? Is it uh, what are, you, uh, what are your a thoughts? I mean, look, I think Pixar does hire great people. Um, right, Pete Doctor is one of the ones that has been there, you know, virtually from the beginning. Um, but I think also, if you read uh, Ed Catmull's book Creativity Inc., which is a great read, uh, if you're a Pixar fan, it's a great read. If you're interested in good storytelling, good management of creative people, uh, it's all it's all really really cool. But uh, their process allows for better storytelling to happen. Mm. Uh, a couple like specific ways um, are one, uh, they have this brain trust that a lot of other people, other studios have sort of adopted versions of this, arguably not quite as good because it's a hard thing to do, but they put all their directors, all their creative people in a room. And so when you're making your movie, you go into the brain trust and you just lay your movie out and everybody rips it apart. Like it's the point of the room is to not be polite and be like, Oh, that's nice. I hope that works out. Well, it's like, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This isn't hit landing. This isn't doing that. And they rip the movie apart. Uh, Not to make everybody feel shitty, but like in the effort of like, there's no egos here. Yeah. This is to make a stronger story. It's kind of like inside out. Think, you don't you don't hold those emotions back, you know, right. that'll just hurt the project. <laughs> and because of that, uh, because of that brain trust being there, it leads to the other part, which is they're not afraid to fail. And then means they're not afraid to fix the failure. Like they're right. they're, you know, and this is this isn't their saying, this is a saying that predates them, but I definitely they definitely apply to it like fail hard and fail fast. Yeah. The faster yeah. you fail, the sooner you pick yourself up. Like, look the first year and a half of inside out, it was joy and fear that went on this journey. It wasn't joy and sadness. Oh, really? Like, okay. They, they fixed this. So like, again, we watch it now and it seems like this is a no brainer. Obviously this is about joy and sadness. Sure. For a long time, it was joy and fear. Sadness was a minor character and that was the core of the movie. And they realized through this process of going to the brain trust that that was wrong. Um, and they fixed it. And Pixar is filled with versions of that story in different movies and different moments. Um, yeah. Another example would be Finding Nemo. Uh, originally in Finding Nemo, it just opens with Marlon being this single dad who's super overprotective to Nemo and you don't know why. And you would they watched the movie and the brain trust was like, Marlon's a shitty character. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until two thirds of the way through the movie where you have a flashback yeah. that you find out that Marlon lost his wife and all of his children, except for Nemo to that fucking Barracuda. And it was not until they just took that entire flashback and made that the beginning of the movie. And then everything that Marlon does, you're like, they didn't change Marlon. He's still a overprotective kind of annoying dad, but you're like, Oh no, I totally get this. And so, it's not that Pixar, it, look, Pixar does have amazingly talented people. And I sure, think yeah. their success uh, and their ability to tell great stories has done nothing except draw more talented people to them. Sure. But I do think they understand the process of building a story a little bit better. Whereas, look, I've worked at a lot of studios where you are more, uh, the higher ups are more concerned with the budget and the schedule than they are with, is this creatively the right story? Right. Um, so, and so I think that all about the money. 
Yeah. So I think that <laughs> it's hard, you know, and I think yeah. that Pixar is not afraid to, they've had movies that were really far down the road of development. They're like, this isn't going to go. Like, I mean, they, they, they look and they don't, they're not perfect. Yeah. They've got their cars too. They've well, got yeah. their good dinosaurs. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I do think that that is where, um, where they do succeed is that they're not afraid to fail and they try and fail sure. quickly so that they can look at it and you have a brain trust of people, which I can only imagine going into a room with people like Pete Doctor, uh, uh, or the other Pixar directors and producers and writers sure. uh, is just a horrifying feeling. Yeah, definitely. I, you got me thinking about Marlon and having it as a flashback scene. I feel like I could, that could work, you know, that, you know, it, I guess through the beginning of the movie, you're, you know, hating this character, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a animating uh, genius. So. But yeah. I mean, I, well, that's what they, I mean, like now look, Andrew Stanton uh, was dead set on like, that's how he thought the movie had to be told. And right. it's by going up against this brain trust, who's constantly pushing on things here. Uh, here's yeah. another example. Just, We'll talk about all Pixar movies. Hey, uh, in, in Creativity Inc., um, Brad Bird has this great story. Uh, and this is a great story about when you don't agree with everybody in the room. Is There's a scene in Incredibles, which Brad Bird uh, wrote and directed, where Bob comes home after he and Frozone have been out sort of, uh, you know, they took down the building, right. stopped the, you know, saved the people, stopped the robbery at the jewelry sure. store. And he comes home and Ellen uh, or Helen uh, catches him. Right. And she's like, you've been out and they get in a big fight. And it's the big moment where she's like, this is not about you. And he's yelling at her. He's like, you know why? This is why are we doing this? Like, we should just be who we are. And she's like, this is not about you. And um, he showed the storyboards, uh, the animatic to the brain trust. And everybody was like, this is bad. Like Bob is coming across really aggressive. Like, I feel like he's about to like hit her. Like it's, he's, he's way too, like, if this is, this is too intense. Like this is yeah. not, can't, this scene's not working. And Brad Bird was like, this is super important. Like this is the fight they need to have. And they're like, well, it's not working. Like you've got to rewrite it or you've got to do something. And he did not want to rewrite it. He was like, fuck this shit. And he was really mad about it. And he like went and he looked at it, but like the brain trust had said, and it's not like it's a rule that you have to do what they say, but like, there's a lot of really smart people in that room. Yeah. Yeah. And he thought about it and he looked at it and he watched the animatic and he's like, yeah, like, look, uh, Elastigirl is this like smaller woman. Bob is just like huge. Sure. And he's like, oh, what can I do? What can I do? And then it like hit him. He's like, fuck, she stretches. She, yeah. she can be bigger. Like the whole point is he looks like he's towering over this woman but she doesn't have to do that. So if you go watch the movie, his solution, he reboarded it. All the dialogue stayed the same. And when she's yelling at him, she goes, this is not about you. And she gets bigger and bigger right. and bigger. And she's looking down at him. And he showed the revised boards to the brain trust. And they were like, oh, my God, you rewrote the scene. It's great. And he's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> not so much just <laughs> but again it's and look that is a microcosm like you know something like sure. inside out is a buddy comedy about joy and fear is a massive change that's oh, yeah. a very small change in a very specific area but it kind of gets to the same point which is looking at everything with a laser focus and saying sure. does this work does this do what you want it to do is this moving the story along do these characters like feel right and I think like, and I, I, I have this definitely, like when you're a creative person, you kind of feel sometimes like you're the one that has to come up with every solution. They're yeah. like, people are hiring you because you're the one that knows how to fix it. 
Yeah. And Pixar, I think, kind of like knocks that out of them a little bit, which is like, no, you, this is your story to tell. You're a cap. You're you're the captain of this, you know, creative vessel. But there's a lot of really smart people in here. Like, use them. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. why you end up with the stories you get at Pixar. Yeah, yeah. It's like in you know, even in you know, live action movies, directors surround themselves with the best talent, the best cinematographers, the best editing, the best you know, or, or if it's going to be a good movie, they do. But uh, the most successful yeah. directors do that. You know, it's, you surround yourself with uh, other ta- talented people. That's uh, that's how you be successful. Um, but uh, but yeah, just to wrap up Inside Out here, uh, uh, Bing Bong uh, helps joy get out of the pit and look and (laughs) i i think toys the end of toy story 3 makes me cry the most of any pixar movie yeah uh when andy gives all those toys to bonnie i have an emotional breakdown yeah uh but bing bong like when they're trying to get out of there and they realize that they can get the rainbow wagon to like shoot into the air and it's not quite making it it's not quite doing it and when Bing Bong says, take Riley to the moon for me and just like, just basically lets himself go. Yeah. Like Joy doesn't realize what's happening. And you realize like, the moment that you realize that that's what he's doing. And especially when like, like I was saying earlier, if you were still in the back of your mind, like, I feel like he's going to be the bad guy. What's he going to do? And then he does truly the most noble thing in the world and sacrifices himself for Riley. It is, that is what Pixar does to you. Pixar punches you in the gut as hard as it can and makes you feel things that you're not ready to feel. (laughs) Absolutely. It's, it's insane how emotional they can make these movies, but yet you still want to go back and rewatch them. Like usually emotional movies and depressing movies. You're like, "Eh, I'll watch that once and I'm good. I'm good. I saw it, but, but Pixar, you want to revisit it due to the, just the, the great moments. And you know, it's not really depressing moments, you know, it's a, you know, being bong, you know, I guess you could kind of call that depressing, but it's more of just a, good guy doing the right thing. She's not going to have an imaginary friend forever. And uh, yeah, I think it's just, and I think also it's like, that's kind of the point of the movie, right? I mean, like we watch Pixar movies because they make us feel things and feeling things sometimes means you do get sad. Like, yeah, yeah. But through that sadness, you have a catharsis and you feel better. That's why we watch them. And that's the journey that joy is on in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, we do yeah we feel we feel all the emotions in this <laughs> um and um, yeah she she gets back to headquarters yeah yeah and, yeah after after a, after a lovely sort of romp and uh lots of canadian boyfriends and other yeah. things that uh, <laughs> oh yes that's right <laughs> uh yeah they get back there and finally joy has like figured things out so they yeah, get there yeah. everything's a mess riley yep. has run away like riley is in a bad spot anger proving that anger fear and disgust all by themselves are not the emotions that you should let run things yeah Um, and what does she do like she lets sadness take the member the thing that she was so adamant on she was like no this is the worst thing she's like this is the right thing to do she lets sadness do it uh you know everything sort of comes together and what i love about pixar is you've created this epic movie there's action there's adventure there's falling buildings there's all of this stuff going on there's imagination land there's dreamland right. there's a giant fucking clown there's all of the things and it <laughs> all boils down to riley crying to her parents and saying how upset she is that they moved yeah yeah that's that's the payoff that right. is the moment of her coming home 
and just having this moment. And they do this amazing thing where her parents come in and hug her. They kind of like, it's a moment of truth for everybody. And there's this moment where Riley just lets out a breath. Yeah. It's just yeah, like, it just <sighs> feels so good to get that off my chest to actually. Yeah. yeah my parents understand. The thing, the thing that joy was not letting her do the entire time. Yeah. Was get to that moment. Right. And and I love too, that, you know, the, the both the parents say that like they miss Minnesota too, you know, they, they are sad too, but you know, this is something we decided to do. It's going to get better, but yes, it's okay to be sad right now. It's okay to be, you know, uh, it's okay to miss the place. It's okay to miss yeah. things, you know? So, um, yeah, very powerful, very powerful. It's insane how, <laughs> how, and, uh, and that's, what's great about animation. You know, you have all this like crazy stuff happen, but the message is just, it, they can still put that message in a, in a film. It's just, I mean, it's one of the things that I get, I love, I love about Pixar. I love about animation in general. And I love being about being in animation now because growing up as a kid, uh, there's a lot of animation on TV. I watched all of it. I was a super nerd, but like, it was mostly like shows that were based around toy brands. It was, it was Transformers and it was He-Man and it was Brave Star and it was Denver, the last dinosaur and Gem and the holograms and my little pony. Um, And like, and cool stuff, like stuff that we all, Thundercats, like stuff that we loved and got into as kids and still as nerdy adults were still into and we're doing reboots and cooler versions of them every day. But we've turned this corner where it's not like what Japan does with anime where they're telling very adult stories. Like most of our stories are still sort of dressed up as kids movies. Like Pixar, Pixar dresses up as a kid's movie, but it's not a kid's movie. I mean, this movie is a, it's kids love it, but yeah. it's about stuff that's really relatable. And then you look at something like Big Mouth on Netflix, <laughs> yep. which is a thousand percent not for kids at all. But <laughs> no, not so much. The, the, the way that we're talking about how Riley's brain is working with joy and sadness and fear and disgust is the way that Big Mouth has hormone monsters and right, shame yeah. demons and depression kitties and anxiety <laughs> mosquitoes and gratitudes and big mouth is just doing like grown up horny inside out um right like it's in, true in a very yeah. similar way it's uh, true like it's you can relate great. to big mouth it's not just you know you, you could look at it on the surface and it's just like oh it's this foul mouth slapstick you know animated show like south park or this and that um but no yeah it's got those messages in it it's crazy yeah that's uh but yeah, yeah. don't don't let your kids watch that folks well, uh, don't, yeah. if you have kids at home don't put on big mouth with them in the room check it out yeah, first no. on your own make your decisions but it does follow a lot of the same big concepts in very different ways that inside out does yeah it's coming uh, of age and yeah, yeah. And so yeah, yeah so you know like then and then inside out kind of wraps up they get a bigger board they get puberty on there. They have a lot yep. of other things that can curse now. Yeah, uh, Anchor's very happy about it. And like, but like, you see how by embracing all the emotions, Riley has now grown as a person, and she gets new islands. You get new interests, just like we do as people. And it's it's uh it's 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 great. It is great. And then yeah, I just love she runs into that boy at the end, and you know they go into his brain. 
girl, girl, what do we do, girl? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, the, the closed credits, I, I, the cat one is my favorite. The, the cat the, one's great. And yeah, again, <laughs> Pixar, like they, they gave you this like golden movie that like is amazing and powerful and emotional. And then they're like, hey, guess what? We had like 12 jokes that we didn't get to. Yeah. And so we think in the last 30 seconds of this movie, we're just going to do all 12 jokes. So if that's yeah. cool, if you're on for the road, like let's just do all of these back to back to back to back to back to back. And you're like, it's, it's like, it's literally the icing on the icing on the icing on the cake. Yeah, exactly. Like you had this heavy ending with that emotion and then it's just like, all right, let's just have fun. Let's have fun for this last five minutes here, you know? So, and it's just, yeah, so beautifully done. And again, I can't, uh, as I said at the beginning, the score is just uh, phenomenal in this and uh, yeah, great, great, great movie. Um, Real quick. I did want to ask you kind of put you in the spot here. Give me like three to five what 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 would you say your islands are in your mind oh wow 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 wow. oh yeah that's a toughie i know (laughs) friend island is definitely a big one can friend and family be one island yeah yeah like that's what that's what mine is i feel like my life is very much built around like my family are actually i'm lucky enough to have a family that i think of as friends and friends that i think of as family yeah i think that that concept is an island uh geek island is definitely like uh i mean it's just like it's there's a there's a castle gray skull and x-wing fighters yep. <laughs> and the enterprise is there and like a board cube and the cat's lair and it's all on one sure, fucking yeah. island and it's just crazy <laughs> um probably uh, like gay islands yeah <laughs> it's yeah, probably I mean, just like a bunch of like starbucks and gyms <laughs> and like some beaches and pool parties like i don't know like i think and, and i think that might be a, running around like i think that might be a real place too <laughs> I think, well, it's called west hollywood it's literally yeah. where i live but uh but yeah so west hollywood it's an yeah. island uh yeah so like friends and family island geek island uh gay island and then like creative islands creativity yeah. like just a creative island of like creation and magic and whatever and well I, maybe like and then magic island is its own like i feel like i like i and maybe it's from working on a show called my little pony friendship is magic and maybe it's yeah. just from working in animation so long but it's like i think or maybe it's going to burning man and having some weird conversations at three in the morning <laughs> with some dude named hush puppy yeah but like I think that uh, when you're a kid, you sort of see magic everywhere. The world is magic. And I think as you get older, a lot of times you sure. uh, start to be a little bit more cynical, a little bit yeah. more realistic, a little bit more things don't always work out. And I try to actively not do that. So, yeah. So let's say Friends and Family Island, Geek Island, Gay Island, Creativity Island, and Magic Island. How about that? There you go. I like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm pre- yeah. Fr- friends and Family for me. Uh uh probably i think uh sports island is one of the ones that kind of d- fell off for me i'm kind of getting back into it again but when i was a kid i was huge oh, yeah. into sports but uh movie yeah, island there's never a sport sport where most guys yeah. have sports island that's yeah. like gay island was just like nope yeah knocked over any sports was like, we're doing this <laughs> um movie island uh podcast island uh which is kind of one in the same uh man music island i'd say that um and 
That's all I got. That's all I got. Those right. Are maybe good islands. Those are good maybe, ones. Maybe Beer Island. Beer, <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not. It's not a healthy one, but yeah. Whiskey Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But uh, but yeah, it's been great talking with you on this movie, man. I had a lot of fun. Um, where uh, where can people find you on social media? What are you doing? Do you have any projects um, you can you can talk uh, about? Yeah. Uh, on social media, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at mktoon t o o n like cartoon. Uh, and you can also check me out on um, Johnny Roca's Outlaw page on YouTube. Go to the Outlaw page. He's got a bunch of amazing content, but that's where me and John and Shannon co-host the Geek Buddies, uh, a weekly podcast. We also have been doing uh, weekly Mandalorian reviews, which have been uh, pretty well received, so check those out. Uh, I am working on a bunch of projects. I think that... uh, I'm trying to think. There was an article that came out last year in Kids Screen that was about original property princess alexander uh animated kids property that i'm developing with wild brain in canada that is about uh it's sort of like my version it's like me telling my life as a gay kid coming out of the closet but in a fairy tale format um yeah. lots of magic and unicorns and ogres and i think oh. that article also said uh with wild brain i'm working on reboots of strawberry shortcake and inspector gadget so that's all in development not set up anywhere but those are the things i'm working on right now but uh so tune into geek buddies where you can hear me talk more about that stuff as well as about the week's geekly news or just hit me up on twitter and say hi there you go there you go michael vogel folks all right man it's been great talk with you you too all right i'll talk to you later Inside Out, Michael Vogel. That was a fun talk, fun guy. Really had a great time with him. Hope you guys had a great time listening and hope you uh, stay tuned for our next episodes. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at BlockbusterCast and Instagram at BlockbusterMentality for all show updates. That's where you're going to find out when new shows are released. And you can always tweet at us. Tweet us what your thoughts are on episodes, what ideas you might have for different episodes. We'd appreciate the input. But that is it for me. For Michael, I'm Ben. And as always, grab some popcorn, grab some snacks. We'll catch you guys at the movies. Movies.